preparation means, uh, why, uh, why it, it's hard work, uh, but why it's an important part of our lives as the church. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, once again, we come to your word. Lord, we ask that you would, um, you would hear us as we give our praise and our prayers to you and that you would speak to us. We know that you do, uh, Lord, so we ask that you would open our ears and our, our minds and our hearts um, for all that you have to say. Lord, as we look to the words of Paul to the Thessalonians, we're reminded of a, of a church that was facing opposition and struggle. Lord, help us to be true to your word um, no matter what we face. In, excuse me, in Jesus' name. So let's get right into the text. Let's take. Let's start in First Thessalonians chapter four. Um, Paul is going to um, get into his. He's going to start his landing pattern. Um, if you're you're uh, if you flew or were air traffic control or anything, you know that planes don't just fly into an airport and just go in a straight line down to the to the runway. Um, you have to get into the pattern. You've got to get into the holding pattern and lower your elevation. Make sure you don't run into anybody else. That's why air traffic controllers exist. Um, sometimes I think that intersections, particularly in Merrimack and rotaries, could use a ground traffic controller, um, especially especially in holiday weeks. Um, you know, when when all of the people come from other states to occupy the wrong lane in on our highways. Um, but uh, but this is this is Paul getting into his landing pattern on both on in both letters, and he opens First Thessalonians chapter four with the word. Finally, all right, finally, brethren, he's going to open 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2 Thessalonians 3 with this line, finally, which means that he is getting to the end of his argument. He's getting to the end of the, 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 the meat of what he has to say, and he's making a conclusion. Along the way, Paul has talked about a lot of different topics. Now, he's going to, 1 Thessalonians 4 particularly, he's just going to keep going. He's actually going to pick up what seems to be a completely random topic in chapter 5, but is actually tied into the rest of the letter. Um, but chapter, but 2 Thessalonians is actually getting to the end of his letter. So chapter 4 and verse 1, Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God um, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So he's, he says to them, He's going to set the, the precedent, and, and if you're taking notes and you want to put these into two columns, they kind of run parallel. First Thessalonians 4, he's going to talk about our behavior. He's going to talk about how we behave. He, he says this, as you seed from us, how you ought to walk. The, the Greek word walk, it, it, it implies the idea of living, of active life, of being engaged in our lives and, and living with others, and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So he says, I want you to continue what I taught you. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. 
Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So, so Paul talking about behavior, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he uses the term walk. He uses it several times. He says more and more. He, he's speaking about this thing uh, growing, that when we walk, we're not just static. There's movement. There's, there's transformation. There's growth. And he talks specifically about what we are called to in verse 7. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So it appears that Paul is, um, in this first, this first letter, having talked about everything he's already talked about, now Paul is calling them to uh, how they're going to live their lives. And he makes very specific recommendations. I don't think I need to go through <clears throat> and talk about um, verse 3, sexual immorality, um, controlling your body. Those are all pretty self-explanatory uh, ideas. Uh, we should be able to parse those for ourselves. But Paul, is, he, he, he seems to zone in on that as standing in for a problem that Paul anticipates happening in the church. Um, this, this, um, this idea of losing control, of allowing impurity in, uh, of allowing, uh, allowing something to change your attitude uh, toward your life for God. Uh, in fact, as he as he talks about this, um, and he talks about uh, the, his his regard for others, verse eight: Whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God. It seems as if there was so, there was some influence in the church that was telling the believers that it, it wasn't it wasn't that important that you maintain holiness to God. Now we do know that the Thessalonian church, in particular. The Macedonian churches were dealing with uh, Jewish influencers, people who were coming in and pushing that you had to become a Jew in order to be a true follower of Christ. You had to be become a full, uh, a fully Torah observant Jew in order to follow Christ. But there seems as if there was another influence on the other side that was basically saying, not only do you not have to be a Jew. You don't even really have to worry about a disciplined lifestyle or make sure that uh, your purity, you have good doctrine, or, or even that you listen to Paul about everything. It's okay. We can, we can be a little flexible about this. There's no reason that we, we can't um, you know, follow our lusts every once in a while. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Now, I want to, before we get into the rest, I want to take, before we get into the rest of that, I want to take you over to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3, because you're going to hear a very similar rhythm to the way that Paul speaks here in 2 Thessalonians 3. So again, remember, these are only written a couple months apart, at best. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, brothers, that sound familiar? Finally, brothers, pray for us 
that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So now Paul, Paul's got a different focus. He says, finally, I want you to pray. Uh, in chapter in First Thessalonians, he's saying, I want you to keep working. But now I want you to pray for the ministry that's going on that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. So Paul, now he's talking about himself, that there's, there's something restricting him, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Now, if you read that, you notice he says that the Lord may, may as happened among you, that end, he says that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. So it seems like Paul at this moment is writing in a situation where he's being opposed by people in the church that he calls wicked and evil. He's saying not all have faith. So so by definition, he's talking. He wouldn't say that about people out in the Roman world who were who are not in the church. He wasn't going to say that about the Jews who were trying to oppress him. It seems like he's talking about there's someone in the church, wicked and evil men in the church. Um, who have all the trappings of being good Christians, um, but do not have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Now that's a tie back to 1 Thessalonians, the first verse that we read, how I, I had instructed you to do these things. Um, if you go over, uh, and you don't have to, but for, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2, he says, for you know what instructions we gave you. And then here, he says, um, we have confidence that you are doing the things that we command. Instructions is the noun. Command is the verb. They're the same word in Greek. All right, so Paul is using the same word. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And, and that, again, that ties back to what we talked about last week, about being able to endure. Why do we have to, why do we have to be strong? Because we're going to, we're going to carry a burden. There's going to be weight. And he says, remember that the, you're, there's a steadfast in God. But now he gets into a warnings, and he expands a little bit on what he said in 1 Thessalonians. Now we command you, same word, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions or the teaching that you receive from us. So not only are there evil and wicked men in the church, um, not only is there evil and wickedness that is not faithful, he says that it's also characterized by idleness. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Now, this is conjecture based on what he says here, but it would appear that these false teachers who were influencing the Thessalonian church, the wicked and evil men, um, were basically saying something along these lines about Paul. Who's Paul? He's just a tent maker. He's just a guy who works for a living. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We, on the other hand, we're so professional that we don't work other jobs. We just do this thing. We, we exist solely to be authorities for you. Right? And, and so they're saying, well, you know, Paul, I mean, Paul, he worked all the time. I mean, how could he have possibly uh, understood everything? But we, we're professionals. We're trained. Now, probably what we're talking about 
are uh, converted Jewish rabbis um, or, or possibly Pharisees who, who are entering the church and saying, look, we, you know, we, we, we've done this for a living. We, we do this. We know all this stuff. Who's Paul? Now, what's interesting about this, and remember how early Thessalonians is, it would appear that the, the Jewish influencers who were affecting the church did not know who Paul was. Paul didn't seem to walk around with, you know, like a, 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 an ID card, you know, that said, you know, his, he handed his business card and it said on the back, Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, Pharisee of the Pharisees. You know, it, it didn't, didn't have his whole list. It didn't say trained in the school of Gamaliel. It didn't say any of that. It didn't say sat in the Sanhedrin. He didn't say anything. So Paul's preaching. He just appears to be just an everyday average guy. He's not, he's not walking around telling everybody how he's special is. He's not, he's not Paul of Tarsus, Ph.D. You know, he, he's Pharisee, Pharisee heresy degree. Um, but he's not, he's not, uh, I just made that up, but I'm going to send it to my cohort. They're going to have a great time with that. Um, but the, the, uh, this, this, whole, this whole idea that, that, you know, they didn't know who he was. Remember, he hasn't established himself as the, as the, as the, the juggernaut that Paul is when he writes First and Second Corinthians or, 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 you know, or Romans. He, he's not this theological juggernaut. He's just, he, he, to them, he was just a guy that came from somewhere else and told a bunch of people they could know God. But he's just a tent maker. What do we care about him? We ran him out of town. Here we are. We, we survived and he's gone. And so there's this kind of criticism to him. These, these idle people. I'm going to keep reading. I'm not going to get into all of the text here. But, uh, but uh, it was not because, uh, verse 9, it was not because we do not have that right. Paul said, I, I have the right as a rabbi to ask that you pay for everything. I don't have to pay you. This, the, 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 the way that, that first, uh, Second Temple Judaism worked, he had the right to come in and say, I'm a teacher. You owe me such and such an amount of money. Um, as an honorarium in order for me to teach you otherwise i'm leaving but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate for even when we were with you we would give you this command same word if anyone is not willing to work let him not eat for we hear that some among you walk in idleness not busy at work but busybodies. now such persons we command and encourage in the lord jesus christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now Paul seems to take this practical idea of the fact that he worked for a living when he was there teaching. And he is going to turn it on these professional um, Christo-Jewish leaders. And say to, them, say to them, maybe you should do a little more work. Maybe you would understand a little bit better what's going on. He calls them idle, and that's an interesting way of describing them. And I really kind of struggled with this because it doesn't seem like, it seems like if we're talking solely about them getting a job, it seems out of keeping with the rest of the letter. It doesn't seem to fit that he would suddenly switch gears from all the theology that he's been dealing with and then suddenly say, get a job. And, and, and as we look at the text, I think there's something very important going on. 
And I think what he's talking about with their idleness, their idleness is being contrasted with the imitation of Paul and the work that he put in to the ministry of the gospel. He's describing in both 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2 Thessalonians 3, I think the same group of people. This, this wicked, these wicked and evil men, these faithless men. Um, in 1 Thessalonians, um, we, these people that are calling for impurity, they're introducing, uh, they're corrupting the holiness. I think he's dealing with the same group of people. And he is looking at their attitude toward what it means to be a Christian and seeing in it idleness and laziness. But what is, what is their idleness about? Well, what does Paul say at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4? Um, he says this, he says, uh, actually the passage we read in verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. What these, what these false teachers, these evil and wicked men seem to have been doing is that they had manufactured, um, easy-to-sell, well-branded versions of doctrine that they just handed to people and put no work into it whatsoever. This is the answer. Why is it the answer? Because the rabbis say it's the answer. End of conversation. I studied it. I found out what the rabbis said. This must be the answer. Um very early on in, in pastoral ministry, I had a friend who was also in pastoral ministry, and we were having a com conversation about sermon preparation. Now, I admit that my brain is wired weird. All right? I, I, don't, I, I, I understand that the way that I process information is kooky dooks. Okay? So we can, just, we can just go ahead and acknowledge that I have an odd thought process. Um, people sometimes are like, how, you know, how do you do this? It's like, you really don't want to try to copy the way that I process things. We, we're having this issue with the, the, the progressives. This is a side thing. But, you know, reading glasses, right, they, like, cover your whole eyes. Um, the progressives, they only got, like, this little section down here for reading, right? Well, that's a problem for me. You know why? Because I don't read left to right. I read whole lines, and I read whole pages at once. So for me to only be able to look through this tiny piece of glasses, I'm literally going like this. And I tend to scan. I didn't realize this. I really did not realize it until I put the progressives on and tried to read a page of a book and realized that this is not going to work for me because I don't read like this. I literally read like that and then turn the page. Right? I, I, don't, I don't sound out words when I read. I, don't, I skip whole sentences if I think that they're not important. It's just how I work. And you say, you can't possibly do that. Listen, you've never learned Japanese. That's how their whole language works. They just skip anything that is important. We don't need pronouns, plurals, any more than two forms of verb. Moving on. All right. We, we have a tendency to think you've got to make sure you understand. I, I don't have time for that. I read, I read sometimes 400, 500 pages a day. I'm just I'm tearing through things as quickly as I can. That's how I read. So they're not going to work for me. Anyway, that has nothing to do with the sermon. That's, that's just me and progressives being cranky. Um, 
but uh, I was sitting down with a friend of mine, and it was very early in ministry. I was, I, I was much younger than I am now, um, and we were talking about sermon preparation, and he asked me, he's like, so what do you, you know, we were talking, I was like, uh, you know, I was like, I, I gotta, you know, I gotta read, I gotta study, um, um, I, sh- I should kind of take a, candid, a, a side comment and just say this, um, when, I was, when I was learning how to study the Bible, my father said to me, he gave me a very profoundly simple statement. We talked about writing sermons, and he said, never write a sermon. He said, study the Bible until it overflows, then just preach what flows out of the cup. And so the idea was just to keep studying, keep reading the Bible until, until there's so much in you that it just flows out. So we were, he and this guy and I were talking, and I brought that point up. I said, well, this is what I do. I just study. You know, some, week, some weeks I study 40, 50 hours. Uh, some weeks I, I study 10, you know. Um, you know, some, some weeks I've got, sometimes I've got a whole series planned out for months in advance. Sometimes it's the seat of our pants every Sunday morning. Um, you guys can usually tell the difference. And, um, and he's, I said, well, what do you do? He says, oh, I just buy my sermons. And I found out, I, I thought he was joking. I laughed. Ha <laughs> ha. What I found out was there was a group of about half a dozen young preachers in, in southern New Hampshire who got together and they would buy a sermon se- series from one of the megachurches that was prepackaged with all his video stuff and all the everything and the script and media and bulletins and all that stuff. And one guy would preach it and then he would send the package to the next guy and the next guy would preach that package. And they would just circulate these packages amongst the five or six of them. They're like, and, and he made the statement, I don't have time for sermon prep. Okay. Cool. Great. Wonderful. That's why you're boring. Anyway, um, the, 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 the truth is, to get to this idleness thing, the truth is that knowing the scriptures and teaching the scriptures and engaging with the scriptures and being creative, and finding uh, new ways to express eternal truth, both for other people and for yourself, is work. It's work. Walking properly does not mean that we just memorize the way that somebody else walked and copy their walk. When Paul calls the disciples to imitate him, the imitation is not follow exactly the steps that I provide, because he never does that. Instead, the imitation is learn to know the Scriptures, learn to walk with Christ, and learn how to go on your own, to, to be empowered, to not be dependent upon anyone else. Don't be dependent. In 2, Timothy, or 2 Thessalonians, he says, don't, be gr- don't grow weary. So if I have a big idea today, it is this. It's going to be it's going to be fancily alliterated. Are you ready? Don't be a dependent drone. Christianity has a tendency to laziness. We have a tendency to rely on what has come before and just say, well, that's good enough. It's good enough. It was good enough then. It'll be good enough now. And, and, 
where, where the church used to be at the forefront of intellectual and creative uh, 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 innovation and creativity. So often we find ourselves, uh, if, we, if we're not copying the world, which is very common, um, we are instead copying other Christians rather than really taking the time to say, what has God called us to be, to do? If you have ever uttered the phrase, I wish I was as spiritual as fill in the blank, you're seeking a lazy, easy path. I could just copy so-and-so. Well, you know, all I really need to do is live my life like Doc. All I really need to do, yeah, Doc's like, no, don't do that, don't, don't do that. All I need to do is make sure I take really good notes of everything that Eric says and just make sure that during the week I do everything that he told me to do. First of all, you're going to be in trouble because most of the time I don't tell you to do anything. Um, but we're supposed to be walking in, in, in a vibrance and a newness and an innovation. And I think sometimes we're afraid of creativity because we're afraid it might take us into apostasy. And, and there are some very creative apostates out there that are making a good argument for that. But then there also is so much depth and truth to be plumbed in our lives and in the scriptures. But in order for it to happen, we cannot be idle. When we come to the scriptures, let me ask you a question. When you come to the scriptures, do you ask, what does this say, or do you ask, what does so-and-so say about it? Because there's a very real difference. If you, can, if you can look at the scriptures and read a passage and say, I have absolutely no idea what that says, then you go and find what other people said, but then you have to make sure that what they said fits with the scriptures. That's work. I know plenty of people that just take their uh, study Bible. I, I, have these, I have these moments when I go to bookstores. I, I went to Barnes & Noble in Manchester. So I had my progressives on. I know this is the third time they've come up. All right. So, so the world looked weird to me for starters. So I'm kind of, kind of whacked out. I was probably wandering around bumping into things. All right. And then I hit the Christian section. They just redid the Barnes & Noble in Manchester. I don't know if anybody's been there. Nothing is where it was supposed to be. Um, so you're, everything's all over the place. Well, they redid the Christian section. And for some reason, there is a whole shelf, a whole shelf of study Bibles named after people. Oh, I hate those. Now, I know some people get great advantage of studying from a study Bible made by somebody I just, I have a problem with somebody's name coming before Bible. I just do. And, and I'm sorry if that bothers or offends you. Um, it's, it's the reality. I don't use study Bibles. I don't like study Bibles. They're useful for some people, but it's just like carpentry tools, right? For, for, for example, for Jason, a table saw, things that, that he uses, those are useful tools for him as a carpenter. For me... They're going to bring the house down. I should not have those tools. 
I'm not a study Bible guy. I don't like them. And I, I don't use that word lightly. I hate them. I can't stand them. Um, when, when people give them to me, my wife gave me a Thompson Chain reference Bible when I was a kid. I don't know if any of you have ever seen one of those. It has a bunch of numbers in the margins. I had it for five years before I realized that those numbers corresponded to things in the back of the Bible. I just thought they were random numbers. I was writing over them. I didn't understand how the system worked. I was like, oh, chain reference. Oh, I, I just, I'm not a study Bible person. I preach out of a Bible with no, no notes in it except my own. That, that's how I am. That's how I'm wired. But when I see somebody else's name before Bible, when somebody sends me, and I, I love you guys, but if, if you send me a link to some great profound biblical teaching and the web address is the name of the guy that said it, I won't open it. I don't believe that personality should be more important than Scripture. I just don't. We saw the result of what happens when we have personality that we come, we create Christian celebrity in the last couple of months. We've seen it over and over and over again. I don't want to be a celebrity and I don't want to follow celebrities. Idleness is letting someone else do the thinking for you and pretending that you can take their walk and make it your walk and call it faith. And that's what Paul's join, warning the Thessalonians against. There are some incredible, extraordinary Christian writers out there. They even have web addresses with their names on them. They have ministries named after them. I can't fault them for that. But their spiritual journey is not your spiritual journey. Your journey is going to be work. Laziness is just sitting there and taking whatever somebody says is what the Bible says and taking it as your own, appropriating it, accepting it. You might as well just call that person your pope because that's what they are. They're, they're, they're taking care of the relationship between you and God for you and you're just copying what they give you. And Paul saw this as dangerous to the church. Idleness. Idleness. We should be prepared to answer a thousand questions that we get wrong answers to rather than be willing to allow one, really Dave, really Dave, <laughs> Dave Taku just sent me the Joel Osteen study Bible. <laughs> That's why I usually have do not disturb on my iPad when I'm preaching. <laughs> but it fit perfectly. It was a good, good point. We should be ready to ask a thousand questions that we get the wrong answer to rather than to allow someone else to ask the question and answer it for us. Being the church of God is work. I mentioned at the beginning the idea of separation. What is separation? Some people think that separation... Christian separation is I dress a certain way, I listen to a certain kind of music, I use a certain version of the Bible, I tell, you know, I don't, run, I don't dance and I don't chew and I don't dance what girls would do. 
right? Separation is trusting the Holy Spirit and His Word. Like we talked about last week or two weeks ago, the Word and the Epistles. To be the Word of God and to guide our lives. To do the hard work of knowing what the Scriptures mean so that we know how to live. To do the hard work of accepting biblical authority over us so that we can know God better. So we can walk longer, straighter, truer with Him. Don't be a dependent drone. If your entirety of your spiritual walk consists of listening solely to the sermons that Eric preaches. And I talk about myself in the third person on purpose in that point. I rarely talk about myself in the third person because I am me and me and me. But if you come to church going, well, Eric will tell me what to believe, what to do. In case you haven't noticed, I very rarely do that. I want you to engage. I want you to journey. I want you to work. I want you to study. I want you to be wrong sometimes. To pursue answers in the Scriptures. To pursue a journey with Christ. To be willing to take chances as you, as you study the Scriptures. To ask the dumb questions. To find the great truths. To be transformed to innovate, to grow, to be creative, to look at things from a different point of view. But most of all, to know Christ as He wants to know you. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, I believe that Your Spirit is at work in all of us to draw us into the unity of of your gospel and your work and your church. In our diversity and difficulty, as we journey with you, you challenge us. You call us to rise. You call us to work. You call us to serve. And it's uncomfortable, and we want easy answers. We want strategies and tips and guidelines rather than obstacles and challenges dissonance but Lord you didn't call us to have all the answers you called us to walk with you help us to walk with you I pray that you would instill in the hearts and minds of the young in our congregation the willingness to be leaders forefront innovators creative directive and focused on you to transform those around them through your spirit and your word for us that are journeying for us that are for those of us that are at the end of our path for those of us that are at the beginning of our path lord to know you as you know us and not to be satisfied with somebody else's spiritual walk as our own to be driven to be discontented enough to work and to grow, to learn, 
to love. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. My brothers and sisters, go in peace.